Hey everybody, welcome to Stale Bubblegum. I'm John Chapman and we're joined by ex- an extremely awesome guest. Uh, if you are a Met fan uh, like myself, Anthony DeComo is almost synonymous with this franchise, even during the lean years. Um, how are you, Anthony? I'm good. I, I appreciate that intro. I, I like to think you earn, you earn your cred during the lean years, right? Yeah, man. Like, you know, you, you kind of have to suffer. Um, I think, <laughs> exactly. I feel like even during the even even during the, the good years as a Met fan, you kind of suffer in some ways, too. <laughs> <laughs> but the last year is a perfect example, right? They, they win 101 games and everyone's miserable about the team. So, yeah, I get it. <laughs> well, yeah, I feel like even like we're just we're just so used to like suffering that even even during an, an amazing offseason. Because you don't get Correa, even though you weren't supposed to get Correa, it's kind of like, I don't know, a bummer in off season for a couple of days. Um, because, you know, you, how are we going to fill that hole? Well, it was created. There is no <laughs> hole, you know? Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I often wonder about that just because... You know, you get the question all the time, what makes a season a success? Can you have a successful season without winning the World Series, especially if you're a team like the Mets that is capable of winning a World Series? And it's it's interesting. I think some fans, uh, well, no one would be completely satisfied without a title. You know, what happens if they play a really tough NLCS against a really good team and losing seven games, uh, you know, to to a really good opposing team is that a success i mean i, I think it's entertaining uh, isn't that what we're all watching for to be entertained so it, it's an interesting question at some point you do have to just kind of choose to be happy with with a lot of it yeah yeah although i mean i'll say like you know i i know that there's there's this whole thing with the yankees where like you know a world series win uh is is a successful season and I don't feel that with the Mets. Like, you know, you give me a, a perennial playoff team every year and I'll feel really good about it. Having said that, the the Wainwright strikeout of Beltran, I still like it's still <laughs> and I'm really happy that he's back. And I don't I I hold no like ill will toward Beltran or anything. It was just that team. And I mean, and you wrote the David Wright book. So, like, I mean, and you, you've been enmeshed with this team, with this organization forever. That team to me felt like the team to beat uh, more than any team since 86 to me. And um, I don't know what it is, but I can't get over that half swing. I think it's it's something that has gotten worse in time because, uh, you know, if anything, the 2007 team was just as good. And they obviously historically collapsed, didn't make the playoffs. Um, 2018, really on paper, was the same as 2007, but with Johan Santana, and they didn't make the playoffs. So I think, yeah, if you're a team that makes the playoffs every single year and you lose, even in gruesome fashion sometimes, you can at least say, well, we'll go get them next year. And certainly back at that time, you could think that way for the Mets. But in retrospect, you look back and the next two years are terrible. And then, you know, the way that they ended and then they, you go down this path of of years and years after that of just real leanness. Uh, yeah, it's like, wow, that was that really was our shot back in 2006. That really was the Mets shot back in 2006. And it ended that way. It's um, 
you know, uh, to borrow a phrase I borrow often from ex-GM Sandy Aldis, and it was it was bad optics. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, like I mean, if the Mets are 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 competing every year, you're not still talking about the Sanchez uh, cab incident. You know what I'm saying? But, right. When you only get so many cracks at the thing, as opposed to a team that's that's knocking on the door eight years out of ten, it they sting a little bit more for sure. Yeah, for sure. So, so let me let me uh, segue and, and try to get that half swing out of my head and and um, uh, as I asked this from a very soggy Westchester County, New York, um, and you're in Florida, which is bright and sunny. Um, what are you what are you seeing? I mean, obviously beyond the beyond the um, the obvious, which is you know the changes in the rules and everything, What's your first, what's your hot take with this team so far? I know there's only been a couple of games, but what, what's been your, I don't know, biggest surprise is, is appropriate because it's only been like, you know, a couple of days, but, uh, but I'll ask it anyway. What's, what's your biggest surprise so far uh, coming into the spring? Yeah, there, there kind of has been no hot take, right? Like there has been no surprise. This roster was essentially set from the outset of spring training. And it's pretty rare for that to happen with any time. I mean, you're talking about really like three bullpen jobs up for grabs in camp. Most teams have at least one posi- legit position player battle, uh, things of that nature. So uh, it's it's kind of a boring camp, and that's not a bad thing. <laughs> if you're a Mets fan, you want it to be boring. Boring means nobody gets hurt. Boring means there are no issues. Boring means this roster that you know everyone was so excited about the Mets building over the offseason is the same roster that they will take with them into the regular season. So if you're the Mets, you hope that it stays boring. Um, But yeah, I mean, if you're asking about things that have stood out, I think the rules are one, especially the other day when Max Scherzer pitched and he really showed how a good, smart pitcher can take advantage of that pitch clock uh, and not only take advantage of it, but make it really entertaining to watch and really entertaining for fans. I love that. Um, I think some of the prospects have been really intriguing. Brett Beatty, you know, if he can wind up having a really good camp and push Eduardo Escobar for that third base job, maybe what we don't see right now is a true competition becomes one by the end of camp. Um, And Ryan Mauricio is another prospect who's really stood out. I think we all came to camp expecting this to, um, you know, to see Francisco Alvarez do a lot of fun and interesting things. And I'm sure that will come in time. But right now, Mauricio has been the one who's kind of stolen the show with a couple of early homers. I'll tape measure shot on Sunday, 450 feet. And just, you know, after a down year in 2021, bouncing back last year, now this spring looking every bit like the top 100 prospect has been for a long time. That's good to see if you're a Mets fan. So those are the things that have kind of struck me in the early days of camp. Are you excited? And and maybe excited is not the right word. Um, It, it is so strange with the WBC because you're especially with the Mets. Cause I think they have what, like eight players or something going away. Um, are you, and again, I'm going to use this word, even though it's the wrong word to use. Are you excited <laughs> to see some players actually getting the chance um, that maybe they wouldn't have in spring um, when like, Lindor and Alonzo and McNeil and some of these other guys go off to the WBC, getting some regular playing time in spring training, um, getting at bats and, and getting the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's not like it's, um, you know, nobody's who are stepping in. These are some legit prospects in 
Alvarez, Beatty, Mauricio, even Mark Vientos, who are going to get some additional time because of this. And um, I do think that's exciting. I think that's really fun and interesting for the Mets. The other part of it is a lot of these core position players, and I'm speaking specifically of Pete Alonso and Jeff McNeil, we saw them in the wild card series last year, and we've seen them in some pennant race stuff, uh, you know, down down the stretch the past few seasons, if you want to even call it that. Um, some other years besides 2022, we haven't seen these guys in a ton of big games, big atmospheres. So I'm super interested to see how a guy like Pete Alonzo, who has really kind of always posted up in, in terms of big spots, whether it's the home run derby, which you might not consider a big spot, but it's important to him and it's a big showcase. Um, you know, the big games that the Mets have had. Yeah, I'm curious to see how he goes. For comparison's sake, like you mentioned David Wright earlier, all things considered, for as good of a career as David Wright had, we didn't get to see him in a ton of playoff games, in a ton of big spots over the years. The World Baseball Classic was a chance to see that, and he killed it when he was there. I mean, he really did. So I'm interested to see that as well as seeing some of the prospects, younger players, other guys come up in Mets camp when, when the stars are gone. Do you think it, like, is there an opportunity though? Like, I mean, like you said, like so much of the Mets roster is set. Do you think that there's an opportunity where, you know, the Mets are going to really have to do some, some thinking about roster changes or roster moves? Because, um, I mean, so many of the spots are set and I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying like Mauricio is going to like, you know, win a spot right now. He's, he's really playing a position that's completely immovable, but um, is there like any position that you see or any, any guy that from getting these extra spots from, from all these players moving in the WBC and just, you know, having a hot spring, where it's going to be kind of really hard to to keep them down, even though they have. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I, I think it's third base and it's Brett Beatty. I, I think um, Mauricio is a little too young, uh, untested at the other positions, besides shortstop, relatively speaking. Alvarez is a little too young. I know he was already up, but the Mets really want to see him catch a little bit more and show a little more defensive aptitude before they go ahead and, and pull that trigger. But third base is the one where you could very easily see Brett Beatty stepping into an everyday role right now and having a reasonable chance at success. Of course, Eduardo Escobar is under contract. Eduardo Escobar is still a good player. He's still making $10 million. And, you know, maybe with this conversation would be different if he hadn't had just a, an electric September last year, because then you could kind of talk yourself into, well, maybe Beatty's the right choice after all. But, yeah, if Escobar scuffles a little bit or if an injury hits or even just if Brett Beatty, who is already homeward this spring, has looked really good, actually made a nice pick defensively at third base today. Like if things fall in line for him and he has the kind of gangbuster spring that, say, Pete Alonso did in 2019 and really didn't give the Mets much of a choice, um, the situation is a little different because the Mets could always just choose Escobar anyway. But there's room for both. And there's definitely a scenario in which you could talk yourself into, okay, Beatty's going to be up. He's going to play every day against right-handed pitchers. Escobar will have the other side of that platoon, maybe DH a little bit to get him more at-bats. Like, it can work in that way, especially if you're not sold on Darren Ruff as the right-handed half of, of that DH, which I'm not sure there's a ton of people who, who are right now. So 
Uh, yeah, third base is the one where Brett Beatty's going to get a ton of looks with Escobar gone for the WBC, and if he just goes and crushes it, it can make things real interesting and potentially really awkward for the Mets. I want to talk about uh, you a little bit. Um, you know, whether it's uh, writing and, and uh, obviously writing, but also just broadcasting a little bit. Um, you, you've been doing some of that. Is there... Is there an itch to do more play-by-play on like a more regular basis or are you, are you content, you know, kind of doing your thing as, as. No, as- I mean, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a, look, I'm a, I'm a writer for sure. And I think, you know, what I tell, uh, you know, I get reached out to by college kids all the time. Uh, people trying to find their way in the industry. And, uh, you know, one of the pieces of advice I always give is that, you can't just be a writer anymore. You can't do this job and just say, I'm a beat writer. What I do is I report and I write and I don't do anything else. No, you, you have to be fluent in social media. You have to be fluent in TV, uh, you know, on air stuff, all that sorts of things. And that, that's a part of the job that came very unnatural to me when I first started. I don't think I was good at that sort of thing. I don't think coming on a podcast or something like this, well, maybe I had a knowledge of, of the subject matter. I knew what I was talking about uh, and could write about it in a cohesive way. You know, I don't think I was trained for or really knew what I was doing when it came to TV stuff. So um, I like to think I've gotten a little better at it. I, I enjoy it. I do a lot of the off season shows on SNY. Um, you know, I've been in the radio booth with, with Howie and Wayne back when, when Wayne Randazzo was still here and, and done some stuff for them in spring training. And that stuff is always fun, but um, yeah, I, I, I do still consider myself a writer first and I, I love my job at MLB.com. It allows me to branch off in lots of different ways. So it's um, probably uh, probably a good place for me to be. What about what about writing? I mean, we we mentioned the um, the David Wright book, which which was awesome, by the way. Um, and Thank you. Do you have any plans on on writing again? I don't rule it out. That's for sure. And I'm sure at some point in the future here, you know, I'll I'll drop something else. I. I honestly don't know what that will be or could be. Um, I know that I'll know it when I see it. And uh, that was kind of the thing. I, I, like I said, I'm a writer. I enjoy, you know, having written things that people like. I definitely enjoy having written the David Wright book. Uh, for me, it's not, I'm not the type of person who I'm just going to crank out a book for the sake of cranking out a book. I did the David Wright book because it was something that I enjoyed. Um, I had a good relationship with David. I thought his story was one that was worth telling. And I thought, frankly, I was, you know, one of the few people who could tell it in a way that could justify it just because of my relationship. Um, you know, my intersection with the team, all of those things, I thought it made a lot of sense. So it was something that I wanted to do. Um, I'm sure that will happen again in the future, but what it is, I don't really know. So I, I you know, it's a hard question for the answer, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. I'll, I'll keep you guys posted. Um, speaking of, uh, of David, like, you know, so much has been written and said about his character and, and qualities. And obviously he was the last captain. Do you see any of the qualities like in, in some of the players, even if it's like a young kid now and, or, you know, I mean, obviously so many of these, these players just watching them, um, on a regular basis have, have the leadership qualities, um, is there anyone that, that you can see uh, getting the C thrown on them? 
You know what's interesting about that question right now is, you know, when David Wright was named the captain, it was so obvious that he deserved that, that he was the only guy who deserved that, that he should be that. Right. Um, and I am very much of the notion that, like, I actually don't I don't love that the captain has basically gone away completely in baseball. Mm-hmm. I wish there were from time to time, but it needs to be the guy that's so obvious that it's almost silly that, that he wouldn't be the captain. Like, uh, for example, off the top of my head, Joey Votto in Cincinnati, like yeah. that's a captain to me. Um, and you can go around the league and, and I'm sure you could come up with a half dozen other examples on this Mets team. It's almost a problem of there's, there's too many guys who fit that description. Yep. Um, you know, you can talk yourself into certainly like Pete Alonso being a captain type guy, Brandon Nimmo, I think would be a great, choice especially now that he's signed to a long-term deal francisco lindor has some of those qualities um you know eduardo escobar is a different case because he's only here on a short-term deal and he's probably not going to be here next year but like he's a leader in that clubhouse so it, it would be very difficult to be like okay brandon nimmo you're the captain now and alonzo and and lindor and and escobar and starling Marte and all these other veterans being like okay wait what you know what I mean? It's it's right. not that Nimmo's not deserving, but how does he get the nod over others? So it's a delicate thing. Uh, I'm curious to see what shape shakes out there, if anything. Probably nothing, if you think about it. But who knows what the future holds? Who knows what player situations will look like in a couple of years, if Alonzo's still here even. Um, we know Nimmo's going to be. We know Lindor is going to be. So those are always going to be two veterans who are, who are here for the foreseeable future. But as far as whether any of them could be captain, I don't know. It's a different situation than, than it was when David was here. That's for sure. You know, you know how I feel with the whole captain thing uh, with the Mets. Now I feel like because Buck's here and has set such, such a tone where they haven't really had like, you know, someone really leading the ship. Um, it, it almost is uh second. I don't know about secondary, but it feels like there's actual leadership in the clubhouse and like the team has taken on that personality almost. Um, and I, I don't, I don't, it predates Buck too. Cause I mean, I think Pete and a lot of those other guys have, have really stepped it up, but for a while it, it had seemed that they were kind of like aimless for a little while. And um, there really is just kind of a tone that like, they're, they're all kind of like stepping it up a little bit. So I don't know, maybe it feels a little secondary. Like I know what you're saying too. Like I remember when, John Franco was named captain. It was like, well, of course he's named captain. Like that's right. not a shock, you know, or like Keith Hernandez and then Gary Carter co-captains. Like that wasn't really shocking. Um, what, what's even, Der- even Derek Jeter with the Yankees. I mean, that was obviously yeah. a stacked team. There's a lot of veterans on that team, but it's like, right. you knew Jeter was the guy. Um, right. I don't think you can necessarily say that about Nimmo or even Lindon. Alonzo or Lindor at this point. Uh, not that they don't have those qualities. It's just that they're more parts of a whole than they are the guy in that clubhouse. Right, right, right. What What's your uh, biggest uh, takeaway, um, just jumping around a little bit, from from this offseason? Not necessarily just the Mets, just, just in terms of like baseball in general, not even just the spending, just where the coming season's going based on the offseason. This This... Eastern division's pretty stacked and pretty, pretty insane and scary. Um, what's, what's your expectations for not just the Mets, but like 
What do you think the top teams are going to, I mean, the top teams are going to be the top teams probably from last year and this year, but uh, what do you anticipate? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the NL East is, is going to look pretty similar. You're going to have three teams competing uh, for potentially three playoff spots out of that division. And the two teams below them, the nationals and Marlins probably don't have too much of a chance to compete. Um, I think the central is a little more open. You, you could, you could talk yourself into two, maybe even three teams in that division. And, um, and the West is, you know, of course going to be the Dodgers and the Padres. I think one of my biggest takeaways is that everyone talks about the Mets and Steve Cohen spending from this off season. Uh, you know, the Padres kind of going toe to toe with them. Not that they spent quite as much money, but clearly willing to be a player on some of these mega deals on some of these biggest stars and not just saying, okay, you know, you want Manny Machado and free agency Mets, like we're going to give you a chance to outspend us. No, like being proactive, spending a ton of money. I think that's like, I, I don't know if you're a, how, if you're a fan, you can go ahead and say that the more teams that get in on this stuff and are willing to kind of go all out, the better, uh, you know, it's, it's fun. You don't want to just have one or two behemoths at the top. You want competitiveness. I mean, I know I cover the Mets and, you know, all the people who are going to listen to this, who are Mets fans, all the people who read my stuff who are Mets fans, of course, want the Mets to win 120 games and run away and win the division by 30 games in the NL East. But that's also not fun. Like for me, covering the team um, and, and trying to do it in, a, in a, an objective way, you know, you want drama. You want something that's going to be super interesting. You want it to go down to late September to the final weekend of the season. You want those Mets Braves games, those Mets Phillies games down the stretch to really, really matter. Like that's when it's fun. That's when baseball's at its absolute best. So I love that the Mets play in a division with three legitimate, not just division title contenders, but world series contenders in in the Mets Braves and Phillies. And yeah, I hope we get the drama that we got last year. And, you know, for Mets fans sake, of course, you know, they're all going to hope that it goes a different way. Yeah. You have any sleep like sleeper teams this year or sleeper players like on the Mets like uh that no one's you know really thinking about or there's usually like a couple of moves that are made that like kind of under the radar. Yeah, I mean we we probably should, shouldn't I probably shouldn't say this today because as we're recording this on February 28th I just watched Jose Quintana gave up five runs in two thirds of an innings of his first grapefruit league start. But that, that was a signing that when the Mets made it, I, I had a lot of people kind of say, Ooh, that's a sneaky good signing. Like that was for that money, $26 million, two years, a guy who's coming off kind of the best half season of his career. Like that's a sneaky good signing for the Mets. And everyone's obviously going to talk about Verlander and Senga, but you know, that could be the glue to the rotation. So obviously don't put too much stock in one spring training performance, especially yeah. the first one. But um, I think that's a guy who could really, really kind of pay dividends. David Robertson, another, another kind of sneaky signing, a guy that a lot of people thought the Mets should have gone after at the deadline last year, should have acquired at the deadline last year. Didn't went to the Phillies, wound up, you know, making the world series with them. But um, you know, to have another big piece like that at the back of the bullpen, I think is important. Yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite part of your job? Watching the baseball. I know that sounds that sounds pretty simple. No, it is. But look, uh, you know, you run around all day. You try and chase good stories. You do writing, which like the physical. I know some people say they love writing. I, I think those people are lunatics. 
<laughs> I like having written. I like having written good stories. Um, I like it being done, but the actual process of sitting in front of my laptop and cranking out a story, that's, that's not fun to me. For me, it's stressful. Um, but, you know, 7 to 10 o'clock every night when I get to sit and watch a baseball game, you know, often in front of a, a crowded stadium, if not a full stadium, it's, it's fun. I, I love baseball. I've always loved baseball. That's why I wanted to get into this. So that, that to me is my favorite part. Last thing, what what is um what is one? There's so many you know rule changes and and changes to the games. Some for the better, some you know arguably whatever. Is there any rule change that like you miss, like that you wish that like didn't go away? Um, you know my personal preference. I I totally understand the the getting rid of the shift uh my personal preference i i I would have loved to have seen left-handed hitters just kind of take what the defense was giving them i love the strategy that could potentially go into here's your nine guys you can deploy them wherever you want if you want to put all nine of them in in right field go for it um so i i you know i i do kind of wouldn't have necessarily been my favorite but look i i think on the whole these rule, rule changes are great i think you know, these early days of spring training have shown us how amazing the pitch clock is. I, I do mean amazing. I think it's transformative. I think it's going to make, make baseball so much more of a, uh, a fun and action-packed sport to watch. Um, basically just getting rid of 20, 25 minutes of, of dead time out of every game. I mean, who 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 doesn't love that? And I haven't heard a good counter-argument for the pitch clock yet, other than maybe just I fear change. So um, I think by and large, these changes are really, really good. And um, God, I, I can't say it enough. I, I love the pitch clock. Well, I, I'm going to give you one. Ready? Um, so, yeah. so I actually think it's awesome. But here's where it's going to hurt: the long lines at the concession stand. You're going to miss more <laughs> of the game. That's it. That's that's the only thing I'll come but you up. You have with. all these beautiful stadiums now. They've all got great sight lines to the field. They've got TVs everywhere where you can watch. You're not going to miss a pitch. True but I'm not getting my kids extra snacks. It's just the bottom line. My kids Fair are enough. Going to suffer. That's it. Your kids are going to go hungry. I I, I get it. it my happens. kids are going hungry. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony, you're the man. You really are. I appreciate that. Um, thanks for, thanks for having on. me on. Yeah. Have a great season. And uh, yeah, man, Ho- hopefully, uh, hopefully the Mets will go further this year. I think there's a pretty, there's no guarantees in baseball, but I think um, there's a pretty decent shot.